I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome in, everybody, to Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castro will be with us in just a minute. Jad Chambers producing on a busy Tuesday. Dan Israel, the executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, will join us in just a little bit uh, to go over the loss to the Packers and look ahead to what will probably be the toughest game remaining on the Chiefs' schedule, at least on paper. And we know in the NFL you can throw that paper right out the window this year. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll look ahead to some college basketball, big college uh, sports news just coming down in the last few minutes we need to get into. Uh, let's go over some of the many, many giveaways we have for you today on the IHOP hotline, which is 869-1240. You might put that on speed dial because we're going to be giving away sneak preview movie tickets to the new Wonka movie at Boulevard Theaters in Town West Square. Uh, we're going to be giving away some Botanica uh, tickets to their Illuminations. Uh, so Botanica's Illuminations tickets also coming today. And we'll give away some HTO coffee today. I think that is all our giveaways. So I have three of them. Opportunities for you to win each and every day here on Sports Daily. We love doing that for you. So we'll go over the Chiefs. More transfer portal buzz as Ohio State's quarterback is now in the portal. And it is a uh, it is a bit of a star-studded Transfer portal quarterback class, which will get pretty interesting as we make our way through the offseason of college sports. That, as we get a report from Ross Dellinger this morning, that NCAA President Charlie Baker is proposing the creation of an FBS subdivision that permits schools to directly compensate athletes through a trust fund and NIL. Uh, it would be absolutely revolutionary for the sport. Uh, the letter he sent to D1 members, Yahoo Sports, has that. Um, so we will be we will be looking into that story. I, I'm just seeing this. So the model would provide a pathway to settle these antitrust lawsuits, appease congressional lawmakers, and curtail much of the collective dealings that happen now. It will make, yes, the rich get richer as we welcome in Tommy Castor, who you can see on the video stream. By the way, you can always watch the show here uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitch. Uh, but we'll have lots to get into. Tommy, I'm just uh, opening the the window, cracking it into this Ross Dellinger report this morning, which just came down, so you may not have seen this, but apparently uh, Charlie Baker, the NCAA president, is proposing the creation of a subdivision that would permit schools to directly compensate athletes through a trust fund and NIL. Uh, so that would be interesting. The rich would get richer, but every school, as I've said from the beginning, you know, there's only so many great players. You can't have them all on one team. So I, I think this is interesting. I've got to read more into it, and we'll do that during one of these breaks and bring it to you on the air here. But uh, that is dropping in, so we'll spend some time with that today as well. Again, we'll get you ready for some college basketball. You've got K-State Villanova. That's the big game tonight. Uh, Jerome Tang a little spicy yesterday with the media. Uh, we can get into some of his comments ahead of that game. But good morning, Tommy. How are you? Uh, it's been a crazy busy morning so far. Sorry, I'm a couple of minutes late on the show. I was right down the hall and uh, told you, I'm like, you got it started. I'm going to be in in a minute. And uh, I, I had not read that Ross Dellinger article. That's interesting. Um, is it basically a revenue share but that money is going into a trust fund? Is that what not, they're looking at? 
I'm not sure. I've only seen the tweet. I'm going to read the story itself during our next break, and then we'll come back and we'll digest it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it. Look, I don't. It's probably not coincidence here that we're seeing Kyle McCord insert into the transfer portal and Dylan Gabriel and. You know, all of these different players are in the portal, Will Howard, which his is a little more, uh, his makes a little more sense. I, I think that they're trying to get control of this transfer and this NIL situation, yeah. which, again, think back to the very beginning here. And it, the second this came out, it was, my thought was five years of an absolute wild west before things settle in and they figure out a way to manage this thing. We're are we about at five years now? I don't remember when oh, this we're less started. Than that. I think but, it's like what three years, two and a half. Yeah. Three, so like that. so that's still that still feels about right where we're going to get in. And at the end of the day, for college sports, after what we've just seen with this idiotic CFP process, we're going to have players be compensated based on their abilities. Capitalism. This is America, and we're going to have a playoff system that we'll look back on and wonder, well, why, why haven't we always been doing that? In, in a few years, college football will be better just for those two reasons. And we will wonder, like, why did we have this system in place for so long? Except for, the, you know, the people that have benefited from it. You know, the, the, the very top of the mountain is, is it's very clear why they would do these things. But, you know, for the athletes and for the fans, it'll be like, man, this is way better than what we've been dealing with. More teams will get into a playoff. More schools will stay relevant. More schools will have a chance to keep relevancy through the end of the season. It'll be fantastic. And oh, by the way, you'll have the ability now to compensate these athletes, which should have been done in the first place. And and this will get interesting with regulated compensation because you know if you don't want transfer portals, you give a player you know money from the school, but you tie it to you know, actually being at that school and, and, and being at that school for a period of time, or you'll, you know, you'll risk losing that money. Those are the things we all deal with in regular society, right? And that'll be good for college sports. So we can get into that. We'll read that report. I don't want to misspeak on what's actually in there until we have a chance to, to dig into it and look at it. Um, not a whole lot from Andy Reid yesterday for the Chiefs. We'll get the latest from Dan Israel at the top of the hour. Uh, but we did hear from both college basketball coaches uh, both Bill Self and, and Jerome Tang, anyway, yesterday. And and the big game tonight is, of course, KU Villanova. Um, K-State Tang, Villanova. Let, let's, yeah, sorry, K-State Villanova. Let's start with Jerome Tang yesterday, who was a little bit on fans. And, and you got KU UMKC tonight, but I'm not that worried about that. I'm not, you know, they should. The, the only thing you take away from that, just as a quick aside, is it's time for KU to actually, like, smash somebody they're supposed to smash you just be absolutely dominant from beginning to end and everything else but for k-state it's a big one against villanova villanova's had some losses they're not happy about either uh, probably two programs about in the same place this year but jerome tang had thoughts for the fans to actually show up to games not just buy the tickets but to actually be there first time i can remember him getting spicy like that with fans uh, coaches do this all the time it's not unique in that way it's just the first time I can remember Jerome Tang doing it, uh, you know, I don't think he has too much concern about people wondering about, you know, the way K-State's winning games. He just, you know, you, you can feel it a little bit. Look, 
You you don't get resistance like that unless there's a little little pressure feel. You know, Jerome Tang's feeling a little bit, clearly. Um, Naquan Tomlin update yesterday said he's treating it like a season-ending injury, and they're just going to be there for him off the court. I do think with Naquan Tomlin, Tommy, it's time to just not consider him on the roster. Like, you, you know... We can continue to guess at that, but at this point, there is nothing that would indicate he's coming back this year. So I don't think you can just sit here and say, "Well, they'll get Naquan Tomlin back." No, I don't think that they will. I mean, I don't unless something changes or happens, and we're not going to get information on that situation. So this is the K State roster. You know, they're not playing the way they'll need to be playing in the Big Twelve. What does that mean? How much better can they get? I think they can probably get as good as some of these freshmen will take them. They'll get better, but. I get the sense that Jerome Tang's feeling it a little bit based on what he was saying yesterday. Well, and one of the things that we haven't talked about, it happened before the game against North Alabama over the weekend, was that Will McNair didn't play in the game. I believe it was that game. It was either that game or Oral Roberts. One of the two last week, Will McNair didn't play, and that was a coach's decision. So you've got Naquan Tomlin, who is, as of right now, not on the roster. We don't know if he's going to be back. Will McNair didn't play uh, in one of those overtime games last week. And that was the Jerome Tang decision. I mean, the one thing that Jerome Tang, that we know about him is that he's going to hold his players accountable. And it doesn't matter what the results on the court say. If, If a player does something or isn't showing the right kind of attitude or isn't performing up to the standards off the court and showing the character the way that Jerome Tang expects them, he has no hesitation whatsoever to either hold them out or to suspend them or, you know, whatever the, the consequences might be. And so it's very easy, I think, for a fan base to look at that and say, well, look, like you guys struggled against Oral Roberts. You struggled against North Alabama over the weekend. If you had those two players, maybe you wouldn't have struggled so bad and the team would look a little bit more complete. Jerome Tang is basically saying that doesn't matter. He goes, I understand that I got to win games, but at the same time, I'm developing these men, and it's it's not just about the result on the basketball court. So, you know, he was spicy about that. He's spicy about the attendance inside Bramlage. I think part of that has to do with the quality of opponents they're scheduling to come into Bramlage. I mean, a lot of teams are dealing with that this of time of year does. where they're playing cupcake opponents and things like that, but it's not only those cupcake opponents, they're having issues beating those cupcake opponents. And so I know that that probably plays into it too. Yeah, so here's the quote on McNair. I can't live with myself if I just use our players to win games and then they go off from right. here and can't be productive citizens and great husbands and great fathers. Love that. I will support that fully. Like, college sports are still a place to grow as human. College is a place to grow as a human. But it's a tightrope to walk because if, you know, if you don't win games. Not for Jerome Tang, it's not. No, it is, <laughs> Because though. he's. It, it, big picture, it is, though. Because he's drawn his line. I, I get it, but it's, it's a tightrope in the big picture because if he doesn't win games, he won't have that platform to be able to develop those young men, right? You know, so you've got to balance that a little bit. And I understand, I mean, his, the, the character development is paramount to Jerome Tang, and I love that about him. I appreciate that, you know, yeah. more than anything else and how outspoken he is about that. But at the same time, if the program, and I'm not saying the program is in this place, they're in a really good position right now, but if the program, if you don't win those games, then you don't get to be the head coach to, you know, to develop those guys. So you've got to balance that. 
Well, look, if if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk, and he does. And so I got no problem with it. I'll respect him equally. Like, I, I don't, you know, when it comes to those kinds of things, it's unfortunate that you aren't winning games. At some point, you have to look at, you know, what players you're bringing in if the issues are persistent. I don't think there's anything wrong with an insanely high standard of character. And, and you can make that clear. You don't get to come play here unless you, you know, are a good person and can right. act like a good citizen. But even if you don't and you make a mistake, we're going to be here for you either way. And I appreciate that as much as anything else. Because, like, sometimes I think we put way too much moral responsibility on a bunch of 18 to 20-year-olds. Like, for real, just remember and, – and maybe this is different for, for women. I'm not a woman, so I can't speak to that. But as a as a guy, like, we're idiots at that age. Idiots. Total boneheads, most of us. We're going to make really dumb decisions. But you know what's important to learn while you're in college? Consequences. Right. Like, you don't get to act that way and not face consequences. And a lot of us do learn that stuff. In some places, athletes don't get to learn that until later. That does not do them any good as humans. So, you know, it's, sometimes you have to learn if you go make a bad decision – there are consequences to those bad decisions, whether you, you know, uh, go out and drink underage and get, you know, a ticket for that. If you get caught, like all those kinds of things that you learn, whether you, you know, run your mouth and get punched in the mouth. Like there's always good reason, like consequences can always lead to good things. And I think Jerome Tang is just drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is our standard. You know, this is how we act in this program. Can't act that way. You're yeah. not going to play. Period. Well, Full the, stop. The one thing that I wonder about Jerome Tang, and, and I want to be very clear, I like Jerome Tang. I've always appreciated his character. I've always appreciated his attitude, his personality, and I just think he's a really good basketball coach on top of all of that. So I, right. don't, I don't want this to be a dig at Jerome Tang, but I, I've, I've wondered at times the fact that he's so outspoken about this. I would imagine that there are a lot of programs out there, not all of them, because we know of the, the programs out there that they don't give a damn about character development for their players. They just want to win basketball games. But I would imagine there are a lot of programs that operate in the same way that the Wildcats do as far as that character development and the importance of it. But maybe the coaches are not as outspoken about that, right? Like, I, and I, I feel like, you know, the, the Wildcat program under Jerome Tang has been put up, you know, city on a hill, you know, a beacon of light as this, you know, outlier as far as developing kids for life and that sort of thing. And that like they're the only one. I don't know if they're I don't think they're the only ones to do that. I just think their head coach is probably more outspoken about it than a lot of other coaches and other programs would be. That's not a knock on him. I just think that he's very 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 vocal about it. Um hmm. I mean, you want to tell me that you want to tell me that like for example, Bill Self, there's not a, a priority to develop his players into good citizens. I mean, I think that there probably is. Yeah, I think there's always an intent to do that. I think um, there is less of an emphasis on. <laughs> do you? I, uh, I I've got to be careful in how I say this because I think Bill Self is the best in the business, uh, and and I appreciate him a ton. But no, there's not the same standard that we're seeing thus far. You know, 
I, I don't think. They brought in Arterio Morris, Tommy, yeah. this offseason. Okay, so, like, no, I do not think it's the same And maybe thing. that's a bad example. I mean, let's look at, like, I don't know, Paul Mills. And we don't know. I mean, it's too, we don't know yet. It's too yeah, early to tell. Yet. But I would imagine just from the limited opportunities that I've heard Paul Mills speak and interacted with him in a very limited capacity, I would imagine that there is a priority on that sort of thing as well. He just might yeah, not be is. as outspoken about it as Jerome Tang is. It's not the same, though. Yeah, yeah. No, and look, I think you just all you got to do is listen to former players talk about Bill Self to understand the impact he has yeah. on their lives right. and, you know, in that community. That's totally there. I get it. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of programs that are willing to take more risks and perhaps turn the other way when things might get a little dicier. We don't have a long you know, we don't have a long track record yet of this, but we have two glaring examples right in front of us just in this season that Jerome Tang is willing to sacrifice wins for for his character, uh, you know, convictions and, and what he wants that to be in his standards. And, and so I think all we can say is that's going to be the way it is. Now, there are lots of different ways to do things, right? We'll see how these players react to this. It's not like he's casting them aside. At least he's not publicly doing that. And so that's important too. And I think that's where, you know, some coaches do a great job is is taking guys in, lifting them up, picking them up. And and the other thing is not all players need that either, right? Like, you know, Wichita State through its glory years had a very, you know, maybe it's not so famous, but but if you know people around it, it was a very professionally run organization under Greg Marshall, right? Like players were treated as professionals, basically, right? Handle your business, do your thing, come to work every day, and we're going to be fine kind of a situation. You know, I I don't know that everything is equal. It's not going to be. We don't know with Paul Mills. And and there are lots of examples. Mike Krzyzewski, as far as I can remember, had a very high character standard there at Duke. Some places, don't have that as much, and you develop attitudes. It's all okay. I don't have a problem with any of it. Jerome Tang is a little unique, though, because he's worn it on his sleeve from day one. You know, Prime is a little bit this way, worn this on his sleeve from day one. Here's our standard. You know, you can get on board with it or you can go somewhere else. And so it's interesting, and we don't know how that's going to translate to wins and losses. It's certainly hurting them right now, but don't I, I for me I appreciate that about Jerome Tang. I think it's gonna work to his advantage because there's plenty of players out there that are into that. There's plenty that aren't that don't want to deal with it either, and they can go somewhere else and you know it, it will work itself out eventually because we'll see the level of recruiting that comes in. But I wouldn't be too concerned about it because Jerome Tang has been an excellent recruiter in his very short time at K-State so far. And so, you know. I, I think right now they're just not super, super talented. And, and I, you know, I don't know how much better they'd be with Naquan Tomlin. Certainly a little bit better. But I think what's going to help this team the most is the development of the young players. They would be, they would be better, but I think more importantly— They'd be better. But more importantly, I think they would be more complete. And that's what you're oh, missing yeah. with Naquan Tomlin. You don't have that piece that I think completes the team. And that's the area where I think the development has to be. You know what you're going to get from Tyler Perry at this point. Cam Carter is taking a step forward. Arthur Kaluma, all of that. But you're missing that Naquan Tomlin veteran presence. And until you've got somebody else, and I don't know if it's going to come along or at what point, but you're missing that final piece of the puzzle. 
We'll find out tonight against Villanova. Really, really good one at Bramlage. Clearly, Jerome Tang trying to rally the troops there to get a packed house. Five o'clock. You'll hear it right here on KFH pregame coverage. We're excited about that game. All right. We're going to dig into this Dellinger report for Yahoo on college sports and this letter from Charlie Baker. Give us a minute during the break here. We'll get through this as quick as we can. We'll come back. We'll talk about it. Uh, college sports could be changing yet again, everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll hit it next on Sports Daily. to get through maybe half of that to try to dissect it it's uh it's a lot this is we're talking about an article out from ross dellinger of yahoo about possibly some proposed changes coming here uh for college sports basically um jake balbrock tommy castor here with you glad to be here with you on this tuesday on sports daily we got lots of stuff to give away here um so hang with us there and we will do that. We've got movie tickets. We've got uh, Botanica Illuminations tickets. We've got HDO Coffee to give away. We'll do all that. We've got Dan Israel joining us at the top of the hour. Uh, so, Tommy, as we look at this, it is a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot to digest. So, the 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 gist of it. I'll try to do the gist of it here. Is that Charlie Baker's proposing? One, the schools get control over NIL rights. I think that's inevitable. I think that's coming no matter what happens. Um, the other part of it that's interesting is this trust. So basically, schools could choose to join a new subdivision, which it sounds like would have far more financial freedoms and flexibility to operate kind of however they want to as far as you know, paying coaches and the number of things they can do. But in order to do that, you'd have to commit – the numbers thrown out here are $30,000 per athlete for at least half of your athletes on campus. Dellinger says that would be roughly $6 million as a, as a baseline, depending on the number of athletes and everything else. That doesn't have to be equitably distributed. Um, you, just have to, you just have to hit those numbers. This is – it is a way to get the separation – of what's now the power four essentially, or and it may be even more separation than that. You may get, you know, the SEC and the in the Big Ten. But but the big part of it for me, Tommy, that I see is they would still compete with the other subdivision, the FBS as it currently stands, whoever doesn't choose to go this route, it, you would basically still have those teams compete against each other in the postseason. So that would be fear number one about something like this. And, and it's been my biggest fear in every change that's happened in college football, college sports for the last five years, is that you would have a separation of championships. That's not good for the sport. It will not be good for the sport if everybody's competing for a different title. Wouldn't be good for the basketball tournament. Wouldn't be good for the new iteration of the CFP. Wouldn't be good for anything. Doing this and still allowing everybody to play for the same title accomplishes that, right? Like That, that crosses that off. So I'm good with that. How many teams could actually afford to do this? Man, that's the part I don't really know, right? Could Wichita State afford to to get in on this? I, I don't know. I don't know. But That's a lot of money. But 
it's trust money though, Tommy. So, you know, you get to a point here where, and it wouldn't be that high for Wichita State because they don't have a football team. So I don't know the total number of athletes on campus Wichita State. And we'll have Kevin Saul on tomorrow. We can ask him about this. Um, it, whatever it is, would it be easier as as a, as administrators in a university to just say, all right, all of that confusing stuff we've had to deal with, just put this money in a trust. That's all you have to do. You You do get to just be a booster. Just put the money in a trust. We have to take control, distribute it how we need to. They would also take control of NIL, uh, which is fine. I'm totally fine with that as long as, you know, again, it doesn't cap what an athlete can earn. I, I think that this seems like at least the right direction, Tommy. I, I It seems like an okay direction to take because there is, and, and I know this is going to freak people out, that, oh, my gosh, the you know, the rich are going to get richer and all these things. Guys, that has been in existence for my entire life of college athletics. There is a difference between Alabama and Cincinnati. Like, there just is. There's always going to be. It wouldn't change even if this was put in place. For that dynamic in college athletics, that dynamic already exists. There's there's a there's a I think it's a a Twitter handle or whatever that consistently puts out, or maybe it's just a person, and you know, my apologies to that person, whoever it is, that loves to point out the operating budgets. Like Kentucky was at twenty two point seven million and whoever beat them last weekend was at three million. Like those disparities already exist. They're called operating budgets, right? And and in those budgets, athletes get none of it. They get the benefits of the money, right? They they get nice things. But they don't get the money directly. I think in this model, they would get the money directly. And I think this is happening because Charlie Baker and everybody else knows athlete compensation and revenue sharing is coming. There's nothing they can do about it because they're going to lose the legal challenges they would put in place to try and stop it. So if you can't stop it, you might as well embrace it and try and find a system that's better for you. But would they get the money directly? I mean, if I'm reading this correctly, this is an enhanced educational trust fund. So it's not like these athletes are going to be written a check or Venmoed $30,000 a year no, to that use would at still their come discretion, through. right? Like it would I, go I think their... that would still come through NIL. I think that part of but it would still that, come through But doesn't that NIL. eliminate NIL? Like, doesn't this whole model eliminate no, that no, part no. of it? Or I that's don't a, think that's so a separate part of it. So there's that's the, a separate part. There's the, the university trust fund mm-hmm. part. But the thing that's confusing about this is that most players that are on full scholarship, they're not paying a dime anyway. So why do you need $30,000 a year towards your education when you're already getting well, your college paid I, for. I I don't know that part. And and look, I, I think we I think we just have to be somewhat logical. There's also a part that says it's not gonna be it doesn't have to be evenly shared, right? So you just have to hit the number of half your athletes at thirty thousand each, but it doesn't have to be equally shared. What is an quote unquote educational benefit I don't know the I, is that a free car while you're on campus? Could be considered that, I would think. Right. Like, you you know, your transportation or whatever uh, could be a house, could be I, I don't know. You know, educational benefits can come in a lot of different ways. And we'll see. But, on it's, that, in a, but, but it's in a trust fund. Like It's not just it's like not in a mm-hmm. bank account. It's in a trust fund. You know, so it, that- could, it could be maybe there could be a graduation compensation. Maybe there's an educational benefit to say if you finish off because they do that with what are those scholarships that we've heard. Kevin Saul talk about Alston, Alston scholars, whatever. Like there are financial incentives now to sticking around. They're through these, you know, these these grants and all this other stuff. You maybe it could be that way, and that could help the transfer portal too. Maybe you could come up with a situation that says, 
All right, here's your scholarship. If you complete four years with us, you get X amount of dollars. Or if you, let's just say you complete one academic year, you get $30,000 as a grant at the end of the year for completing the year. Yeah. I think you can probably do that, and I would guess that's where they're headed. So, the, but, but it doesn't eliminate NIL. It just gives schools control, which they need sort of anyway. Well, some need control to some degree. I, I, you know, good luck schools, because I don't know how you're going to pay for it, pay the people that need to manage it. But, you know, that's that's always the administrators at schools issue. But if they can take control of the NIL, I do think it will curtail some of the things that coaches don't like. Look, if you do any of this stuff, the issues we see now is because everything is unchecked. If you put some of these play and I've always thought. I don't know this because, again, like this is these are questions I've had. I, I think that the schools themselves are the most equipped to not have this spiral out of control. Like if you gave the schools control, there's a better chance that you don't have as many bad actors in this. Now, is that perfect? Of course it's not. We've seen that time and time again over the years. But I, th- I do think it would be easier for the schools to have it front and center and to say – you cannot contact players until the season's over. You know, the stuff that's driving them crazy now. I think it could help that. But to me, I don't read this as limiting athletes and what they can earn. What I read it as opening the doors for certain schools to be able to operate within the budgets that they've created more openly, which is, again, it's just saying the quiet part out loud. There are some schools that do need a different set of rules because they have a different set of revenues. And as long as you can keep everybody playing for the same championships, it's going to be okay. There's so many great athletes. There's so many great players. You know, Alabama can only have so many of them because players aren't going to play. That's and, and I think that's why we're seeing a little more, you know, disparity, despite what the CFP might tell you and just force Alabama in anyway. But, you know, we're starting to see the strangleholds lifted, I think, a little bit. The SEC was not nearly as dominant this year as it has been in years past. I don't, I don't even think that's subjective. That is, They were not as objectively top-to-bottom good this year as they have been in years past. And I think a big reason for that is some of the best players are having financial opportunities to go elsewhere across the country. I don't think this changes that either. In fact, I think it enhances it. How many schools can come up with the ability to do this? It's probably, Tommy, if this happens, this is going to be a requirement, I would think, for these leagues. Like, you don't get to be in our league if you can't do this, right? And at minimum, you're going to make X amount of dollars in your TV deal. So we know you've got the money. And and you're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to raise it and put it into this trust. But you can't play with us if you can't do this. I, that'd be the other part of it I'd be slightly concerned with. But I think that's inevitable. I don't think you can have teams that would be a part of this in, in an individual league and other teams that aren't. I, that, that doesn't seem possible. So what you'll probably see is the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and whatever else remains, whether it's another league or whatever, operate this way and every other league not unless those leagues step up. Like, And that's the part I don't know. Can the Amer- Could the American operate this way? I have no idea. But if they can't, then they would be in a separate, quote-unquote, subdivision, but they're playing for the same stuff, so it doesn't really matter to me. At the most basic level, the reason why I'm like really skeptical of this in general is because the NCAA 
has proven itself time and time and time again at being utterly incompetent and irrelevant. And so I've been trying to read through this article as we've gone through this this segment talking about it. And maybe I'm not very intelligent, but it seems so convoluted in so many different steps and procedures and like all these different things. To me, it feels like the NCAA is flailing right now, trying to find a way to stay relevant in the ever-changing world of college athletics. You know, they've been an enforcement body. They've been a compliance body. Like, these are all the different things that they have prided themselves on being. And I feel like, and it's been pretty obvious from the last several years to now, I mean, the number of times that the former director, Mark Emmert, spoke out against NIL and paying players and the transfer portal going up against, you know, going to Congress and lobbying for, I mean, all these different things rather than working on the benefit of the student athletes and the member institutions. It was all about protecting the rights holders and that like, that's who he was beholden to. And I know he's not there anymore. And I don't know as much about Charlie Baker. I know that he's a former politician and all of that. But I just feel like the NCAA, you mentioned Mark Emmert's a dinosaur. The NCAA as a governing body is becoming a dinosaur. And this is a, I think, last-ditch effort to try to stay relevant in a, in, in, a, in a viable way for these member institutions to stay with them. Because I think the threat is real and legitimate for schools and conferences all around the country to say, you know what, NCAA, you have completely outlived your usefulness to us. You are not useful anymore in what we need you to be in this new world of college athletics. We're going to break away. We're going to do our own thing. This is Charlie Baker and the NCAA trying to stay relevant. Will it work? I guess time will tell. I just don't have a whole lot of faith in the NCAA in general. The, well, I don't either, but the only thing about that is I think this is what the schools are asking for, right? So, like, they're asking the NCAA for this type of thing. So, and it would keep them relevant, but I think it's the desire of administrators and coaches to have this in place. I, I you know, I, I think that at the core of it, I don't think administrators and coaches are annoyed with athletes earning in the new model. I think most of them would absolutely support that i think their problem is there's no control of it and now you're getting tampering and all these things and it's making their jobs harder so i think i do think they're asking the ncaa for something like this this isn't going to be the version that makes it through like don't like it's the it's the beginning ideas i'm glad they're considering things i'm glad that at the base of this the championships don't change other than that, they do have to figure out how it, it'd be like having the wind surge compete with the Yankees on their current budgets, right? How do you do that? Putting them in the same league instead of having one in Major League Baseball and one of, and I know that goes against the championship thing I'm talking about, but it, it's you've got to lay the framework for the, the schools that can generate more to use the money they generate to the benefit of the athletes first and foremost. That's why I think this is, you know, at least in the right direction because all this stuff helps the athletes 
get there. It won't look like this. It'll look like something else. Ross Dellinger has it. Yahoo, you can check out the report. All right. On the way out here, let's give something away. Jad, let's start with the Illuminations uh, tickets from Botanica. Let's give away a pair of tickets right now on Sports Daily, 869-1240. First caller, head to Botanica's Illuminations for free on us. Jad will get us a winner. We'll come back, wrap up hour number one of Sports Daily. Congrats to Mike for winning those Illuminations at Botanica tickets. We'll have some movie tickets coming for you in the next hour. We'll have some HTO coming for you in the next hour. We'll have Dan Israel in the next hour, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, up at the top of the hour with us. Uh, Tommy, K-State Villanova tonight, we, we kind of talked about the Tang press conference yesterday. I don't know what to make about Villanova this year. They've also... I, I think, been disappointing for their fans to some degree. Um, at least that's the vibe I get when I've heard people talk about Villanova this year. This is as good an opportunity for K-State in the preseason. Jerome Tang, one of the other things he said yesterday was that he didn't like these games. Right? He didn't, he didn't think they needed them. He didn't think they did much benefit. I would disagree with that as K-State comes in as a two-point dog, by the way. I would disagree with that. I do think this is good for K-State. I think it's good for K-State fans. I think it's fun for K-State fans. I think it puts you on a profile. Uh, I think that there's no chance you could say KU's games that they've been playing this preseason, this pre-conference season, will help them later in the year. You like this game because it helps you. You're okay with this game because losing it's not going to impact probably your ability to get into the tournament. It might help it. But when you play a great conference schedule and that stuff doesn't matter, why wouldn't you want a game like this? Yeah, you know, Villanova is pretty up and down this season. I mean, looking at their overall record and their schedule, they did upset North Carolina. Uh, They beat Memphis, but the last couple of games for them have not been good. They lost to St. Joseph by 13, and they uh, lost to Drexel 57-55. That was just over the weekend. So, you know, they're they're kind of, I guess, maybe trending down right now, but looking to have a – a get right game. And, you know, I can't think of a better opportunity for Villanova than to play a Kansas state team that has struggled in recent games for Villanova to get right. I think the one thing about the Wildcats, the Villanova Wildcats, that is, is there was a lot of, I think, controversy around that program when Jay Wright retired a couple of years ago, that they didn't do a major national search to try to find his replacement. Uh, that they just promoted from within, basically, uh, is my understanding, I think, or at least they knew who their head coach was going to be coming in as soon as Jay Wright stepped down. It's a program that obviously has won national championships, played for national championships in the top tier of elite programs nationally, and there were probably really some high-profile coaches around the country that could have stepped in had Villanova hired them, and maybe they not miss a beat at all. Villanova went to the NIT last year. They didn't even make the NCAA tournament. So there was, a, you know, I think conceivably a, a fairly big step down after Jay Wright left. That maybe could have been avoided if they had done a big national search, and I know that's been a point of contention around that program for a while. It'll be fine. You don't know. I mean, sometimes the, neither did Duke, and they've been fine, right? You know, it, it's you think you've got the right guy. Neither did North Carolina at the time, and they've been fine. Like, it's it's okay to do it that way. It hasn't worked so far. Uh, and that's, you know, that's one thing. 
but we'll, we'll see with them. I, I, I do think it's a good game. I do think it's a good opportunity. I do not agree with Jerome Tang. I think K-State should be trying to play these kinds of games. I think it will make them better when push comes to shove. It will make fans show up if that's your goal, Jerome Tang. It will, it will you know, get people excited to have Villanova come in for games like this. You know, keep scheduling Wichita State, please. Uh, and, and, you know, try to hit some regional games that you can. But, yeah, play. go find you a big time. Because it's going to, it helps you. It'll give them a measuring stick to know, like, what's at least maybe what's coming in the Big 12. Uh, but we'll see. That game, again, you'll hear it on Odyssey uh, tonight here. By the way, can't get enough Chiefs coverage. Check out New Heights with Jess, uh, Jason and Travis Kelsey, which is free on the Odyssey app. Follow it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You heard Monday Night Football on the Odyssey app last night. We'll talk about that, a big injury that impacts the Chiefs. Uh, some Chiefs talk coming. We'll uh, have it all for you. Some giveaways in the next hour. Dan Israel up next from Chiefs Radio Network. Jacob Albrock to Tommy Castor at Sports Daily. Hour number two coming up. and 1240 KFH. Caught! Touchdown! Kansas City! Hey, Chiefs Kingdom, we have you covered. Joining Sports Daily Live, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel. All right. Welcome back in Sports Daily. Hour number two gets going with Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, joining Tommy Castor and I, Jacob Albrock, Jack Chambers producing. Dan, well, that didn't go so well against Green Bay. <laughs> I, I, I think it's time, you know, it's time to probably worry a little bit. I, my, my concern comes mostly with the injuries. How bad is this with all the injuries, and how long-term are all these injuries? Have you heard anything? I know Andy Reid didn't give us much of an update yesterday. No, and I think we'll find more out later today. I mean, you know, injuries are always um, an issue. I think the given who they're to, we're fortunate that, you know, Nick Bolton is coming back. Uh, we've got depth at the safety position. Uh, but, you know, injuries are always a concern, especially when it happens to a starter. And, Man, it just seemed like on Sunday they were dropping like flies. I mean, every like every other play, there was an injured chief on the ground, and you never like to see that. Dan, I think it kind of hit me in, in watching the game on Sunday night that there is not much, if any, margin of error with this team. And that's something that we're not accustomed to seeing in the Patrick Mahomes era where, you know, you just kind of knew that even if their backs were up against the wall, that Mahomes would pull out some of his magic or there would be something that would happen that would spark and turn this team around. But the margin of error just really is not there like we're used to seeing. Is that a fair assessment? It is, Tommy. I, I mean, I think one of the things that you see here is, you know, that the team has made errors, you know, drops, fumbles, uh, interceptions they've made errors all throughout Mahomes career they've just had this ability to come flying back uh, with such a potent offense and recover from those and now all of a sudden with that missing these errors are becoming you know 
game-changing events. And so I think the biggest concern we have now is, look, it's December. How much can we keep saying, well, you know, we're going to get a little better every week. We're going to, you know, we're going to clean things up. We're going to improve. They're starting to emerge. I mean, it's December. It's it's the time of year where you are kind of are what you are. I don't know if you can fully say that about the Chiefs yet, but we're we're closing in on that. And and the reality of this just may be that the Chiefs right now are a 30, 35 point offense. They're a 20, 28 point offense, and and so they've got to figure out a way to to keep that margin within the where a defense where our defense can keep us in the game and and they can score enough. You know, I I, I feel like. I just feel like some of these issues, you know, MVS isn't going to change at this point. I, I mean, let's just put it on the table, right? I, I think he is what he is. He's he seems to be a rather selfish player, and, and you know, it seems to be, you know, I, you could almost hear the Green Bay fans saying, "See, you know, this is yeah, this is why we let him go." And I I feel like you know, Sky Moore. I don't know everybody's kind of criticizing him for running the wrong route. I mean, it's just a slant route. I don't really don't know how he could have run that wrong but Mahomes took the you know the blame for the throw and I think that might actually be accurate in this case but you know we're not a we're not a team that can just rip off the top of the defense the opponent's defense anymore we're a team that's having to settle for those intermediate throws and it's it's just a different look for the Chiefs and so I think as fans we're probably going to have to settle in that yeah the margins of error aren't there not in a game and now as we see not in the season I mean man, what a tight bunch this conference has become all of a sudden. Dan, this, you may not be in a good position to answer this question. I'm not sure, but I'll ask it because I've wondered about it, and I know other people have talked about it. Eric Bieniemy's out, Matt Nagy's in. How much of that should we be you know, looking at as some of the issues here? You know, I, I think we've all seen things that make us scratch our heads, some of the calls in short yardage. Why does Rashi Rice, who's been great, have an average depth of target of about two yards last week? Like, how much of this do you think needs to go toward the change at offensive coordinator? Well, it's certainly a fair question. I would say this. Coach Reed is heavily, heavily involved in the offensive development. So I think when you're, when you're looking purely at the passing game, I think that Nagy – and Reed are equivalent to what we had with Bienemy and Reed. When you're looking at the run game, certainly Bienemy was a, a dominant force in the running back room. He was a dominant force on the field as a running back. So I think that as the running game goes, you could say the, the loss of of Bienemy was should be significant. However, the running game really isn't the problem, right? I mean, I thought I saw Patrick Mahomes under center in Green Bay more than I have ever. <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember any game where he was under center as much as he was. And frankly, I thought the running game was very effective. One thing I do think you miss, and this is in no way am I trying to slide or denigrate Coach Nagy. He is an incredibly nice man, human being. The enemy is much more fiery when he's – you know, he is much more boisterous and fiery, and I don't know if that's a factor. I really don't think it is because I have seen Nagy be that. I just don't know, you know, on a daily basis what's going on there. But that's about the only thing I could really think to say. I, I just really think you've got a situation where, you know, teams are realizing that it, it's imperative to stop Kelsey because the depth isn't there 
in the receiver room. And, and I think last year, maybe we got some confidence, too much confidence, in our ability to make a Super Bowl run and victory with that kind of situation. And so to me, I, I think rather than say Nagy to be enemy, maybe is the correlation there. I almost think it's the loss of Juju Smith-Schuster, to be honest. Uh, I just think he was enough of a, a force that it made that room just a notch better. McCall Hardman, and, you know, I, I get it's, it's too bad with the IR, and they got to figure this out, though. I mean, it, it just – it's kind of – we're getting to the point in the season where it is where it is. I, I guess I – to answer your question just as bluntly as I can, I don't think it's as significant as it probably seems that it could be. Just just seeing things behind the scenes. And, and with that said, I would say, you know, I am not there. I'm not in those rooms every day. So – but that's my opinion. Dan, you mentioned seeing Patrick Mahomes under center more than maybe ever on Sunday night. I think it kind of hit me, too, that not only that, but I, I, I'm watching this team. Really, of course, we know the struggles they have with downfield passes. Really, the passing plays, so many of them are behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. And to me, it's basically becoming predictable, right? Like defenses probably know that the Chiefs outside of Travis Kelsey can't complete a pass down the field. And so they're going to load up and, and try to stop you for yards after catch behind the line of scrimmage. If that really becomes, and it kind of has become, the bread and butter of the passing game, there's really no wrinkles in that, right? I mean, if you can't change that up and, and count on anybody to be able to catch the ball down the field outside of Travis Kelsey, that's a really, really predictable one-track offense. It is, but I would say also that with a running back like Isaiah Pacheco, you, if you don't stack that box a little, he's going to bust through that, and he's going to get you seven yards of carry. You let a guy start doing that on first down to you every day, you, you're not going to be able to predict anything. And so, and I, I thought, given the, the, the way the game started, I thought we were going to rely heavily on the run Sunday in Green Bay. I, I'll tell you guys, just from an – from a guy who's seen a lot of Chiefs football, I think the biggest and most glaring thing to come out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, was they played more physical than we did. They came out with more energy. They were faster on the field. They were bigger. This, it's a big team. I mean, those the offensive line for the Packers, like 6'5", 6'5", 6'4", 6'5", 6'5". You know, I mean, they're big boys, had a lot of weight on the field, and they were moving fast. And I just felt like, they were playing with more energy. And, and I think the Chiefs are going to have to figure out a way to come out and not wait till the second half to do that. With the, where they're at now and their inability to just score three touchdowns in eight minutes, they're going to have to, to start much, much faster. And I think that's the frustrating thing for us. You know, you could almost see that the time of possession was so lopsided in that first half. Anytime you put the defense out on the field for 50 snaps when it should be 35 – you're wearing them out quickly. You know, I just, I feel like they outplayed us. Not, not necessarily even from a scheme to a scheme, just the physicality, you know, and when it comes down to that whole Nebraska three yards in a cloud of dust thing, you know, you know what I'm going to do, or you might know what I'm going to do, but you still got to stop it. And I think for us, I don't think we should have to hide behind, or I would like to see a Chiefs team that doesn't have to hide behind the trickery, that doesn't have to say, ah, I see, you thought I was going to do this, but I really did that. I'd like to just see, hey, this is where we're going, stop us, and let's be able to you know, combat that way. 
that's kind of the impression I was left with the last game. I don't know if that, you know, fully answers your question, but I just, I found that to be the most frustrating part about, about Sunday night's performance. Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, joining us. You hear their calls uh, every week with us here in our Odyssey family. Dan, Trevor Lawrence goes down last night waiting on the severity of that injury. It has been a bloodbath at that position specifically, but we've seen the Ravens lose their star tight end to Mark Andrews. Like As we see the Chiefs struggle, as they get the injuries, it does still feel like as we're watching this, at least in the AFC, it's almost like it's a battle of attrition and all of these things that frustrate us. And, you know, that's significant for the Jaguars last night. That's one less team the Chiefs have to jump, although I guess you could make a case you'd like to have Trevor Lawrence playing against the Ravens. But it, it is a weird year in the NFL and in this weird year league-wide and a weird year for the Chiefs based on what we're used to over the recent years it still feels like they've got just as good a shot as anybody to win this thing and, and still should be one of the favorites. Yeah, Jacob, I kind of feel like this is the, it's like the okay corral last man standing is going to survive in this thing because it is weird. I mean, you look at this a month ago, you look at our conference and it looked like it was stacking up to be a, a three horse race. And now you've got a, I mean, I can't believe that all four teams and the AFC West have the ability to get into the playoffs. Not likely. I mean, Chargers and Raiders are not likely, but they're not mathematically eliminated either. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, and when you think about, you know, when you see what the Bengals did last night with this kid, wow, did he play good? I mean, what a game that was. And then you start to think, well, maybe the Bengals aren't out of it either. And maybe the Bills are going to make a resurgence and come flying back. I mean, we'll see how the Chiefs play them on Sunday. But, I mean, it is a tight, tight race. You're talking about one game separating the first seed from, you know, the, the second, third, and fourth. And I think, I think there's a tie at, at the first and second. But the Ravens and the, and the Dolphins will, will work that out by the end of the season. But uh, to your point, the Chiefs still have a very real possibility – uh, of not only making the playoffs, I think that's a high, high percentage. They're going to make the playoffs. They have a possibility of getting back into that first seed, but they've got to do it with, with better play than what they put on the field on Sunday night, that's for sure. Dan, what level of concern right now do you have about the offensive line, both from a health perspective and Donovan Smith, I know, was dealing with a neck injury and Wanya Morris was in the game on Sunday, and then continuing this penalty issue with Juwan Taylor it definitely looked like, I mean, a lot of the major concerns from Sunday night, the red zone, Patrick Mahomes getting sacked in the red zone, which is unlike what we've seen uh, in a long time from this Chiefs team. So what, what's your level of concern right now from the offensive line play? You know, I asked uh, last night, I had a guest, I had to fill in for, the, for Mitch in the Chiefs Kingdom show, and Mitchell Schwartz was my guest. And during one of the breaks, I said, well, just tell me what you see in there. And he said, you know, Juwan and even – why Wanya Morris were, were holding their guy 10 and 11 yards. And he says, that's all you can ask out of a tackle. He really kind of defended them because in my mind, I felt like, you know, the play was diminishing uh, in terms of <laughs> what was happening on the, on the two tackles, especially with the injuries to Donovan Smith. But he seemed to think that that, that wasn't the issue. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting the playoff and getting it going. I did think we were doing a lot of runs up the middle. I thought that was encouraging to see. Um, you know, they they just 
for whatever reason, I, I felt like they were attacking us on the edge and they were winning enough that it was making these guys, you know, look not as good as you want them to. And, and yet when you hear a guy who's an all pro tackle say, no, you know, I mean, I, he didn't really have any reason to stand up and defend these guys. These guys weren't on the team when he was there. And so I, I, I don't know. I need, I kind of, I left as I was driving home last night, I said, you know, I, I really want to go back now and look at the game again and just focus on that because I, I'm uncertain. I, I feel like what I saw Sunday isn't what a guy who did it for so many years and did it well saw Sunday. And so I kind of, that's probably on my to-do list for the remainder of this week is go back and look at that game and just focus in on these tackles because it is an issue. Anytime you lose your starting tackles, we know that from Super Bowl 55. If there's anything we learned from Super Bowl 55, it's that. And so uh, not that Juan Amores can't step in and do the job, but uh, you know, not that Taylor can't clean his game back up again, but there's a lot to, to look at there. I think that you have to, it would be irresponsible not to look at it, right? Maybe that's not the issue, but you got to look at it. Well, you got to look at that, and I think the other thing you got to look at is the secondary. I thought that was the secondary's worst game by far. Way too many. Jordan Love, everyone talks about how good he looked, and he he did a nice job, but I thought a lot of it was good fortune, too. I didn't think the secondary played well at all in that game, Dan. What did you see from that group? Yeah, there were a couple of moments. Love, everyone was saying, oh, Love dropped a dime in between three Chiefs receivers. Yeah, he three Chiefs receivers were there. And any one of yeah. those guys could have probably tapped the ball. I just that not I'm not taking anything away from Jordan Love because he did play very well. But I do feel like that wasn't the caliber of secondary play that we've been playing. So I I wouldn't I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I felt like that was a an issue. You had guys wide wide open. They have and look I don't know if it's this game or whether Green Bay's figured this out. But if Green Bay's figured it out, you can bet. We're going to see this from going – and I think Green Bay probably went back to the Denver game and say, how did Denver do some of this stuff? But when they flood those corners with two guys, there's an issue with the communication and transition from one guy to the other. So you saw, I think it was Sneed bite down on the second guy who was under, leaving the guy behind him wide, wide open. So we've got to figure out that issue because there were too many instances in my mind where guys had 10 – sometimes 15 yards of separation. How does that happen? That is not typical for what we've been seeing out of the Chiefs secondary, uh, out of these two tandem corners that have been playing lights out most of the year. Definitely a poor performance for them. All right, Dan. Well, you mentioned Mitch. Uh, we assume everything. I, I heard you last night on the Chiefs Kingdom show. We assume everything's okay with Mitch and all will be back to normal. The streak is over, uh, the Iron Man streak, but – uh, everything back on on as normal this weekend? It is, yeah. Mitch was, uh, I tell you, I think as hard as COVID was on him physically, I think losing the streak probably was tougher for him mentally. I know when I went through this in uh, 2015, I broke my streak, ironically, on an away game to Green Bay, in which we lost uh, at 523, and he broke his streak last Sunday at 5.03. I, we tried everything to figure out how to remote this broadcast, 
so that Mitch could be a part of it. We talked to the Packers about an isolated room. We talked to Channel 41 here in Kansas City about putting him up in a remote truck and sending a fiber feedback. I mean, we tried. if we'd had probably another day, we might have been able to pull that off. But unfortunately, just the late notice didn't make it so. He wasn't able to make the game. But he's doing much better. He's out of protocol today. So I think uh, no anticipation for his re- his return or no uh, no concerns about his return he'll be back Sunday all right well that's good news we will have the call with you it's one of the biggest games of the week Buffalo is uh, Buffalo is going to be chomping at the bit for this one the Chiefs have got a lot to figure out in a short amount of time to do it Dan we appreciate it we look forward to the call this weekend you bet thanks guys have a good week All right, there goes Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network with us here on Sports Daily. A lot of good stuff there. Um, And boy, Tommy, there is no time to feel sorry for yourself. Buffalo is going to bring it on Sunday. Well, they are. They're desperate. They, you know, they've got to get back in the playoff hunt. And so you're you're poking a rabid dog there. Uh, The Chiefs have got to bring that same energy at the minimum. Uh, I think in that game and we'll see how it goes. It's I think it's within a field goal on the line and all those things. Let's talk a little about Monday Night Football. That was a really interesting game all of a sudden. Dan teased at some of it, but on both sides with Cincinnati and Jacksonville, I think there's plenty to take away from it. We'll get into that on our way out. Let's give away some movie tickets here. Uh, You can check out the new Wonka movie at Boulevard Theaters in Town West Square. Again, this is the new one coming out. A special sneak peek of that new musical starring Timothy Chalamet. Hope I'm saying that right. At 7 o'clock on Thursday, December 14th. That's next Thursday. You can get a pair of tickets on us right now on the IHOP hotline here at Sports Daily. Jad will get us a winner. We'll come back with more right after this. Cena Anderson reporting that the Bears would have interest in Eric Bieniemy. Just FYI. Uh, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor here with you. Sports Daily rolling through hour number two. Our appreciation to Dan Israel. If you missed anything from our conversation on the Chiefs, you can go back and listen to that for free at kfhradio.com. Congratulations to Scott for winning our Wonka tickets at Boulevard Theaters. We'll give away some HTO here before the end of the show as well. Monday Night Football, Tommy. Looked like it might be a blowout in a bad game. Was anything but that. And Jake Browning uh, led Cincinnati behind a really impressive performance to a win. 491 yards of total offense. Uh, Browning was 32 of 37 in the game. 350 yards, a touchdown. Cincinnati's at 6-6 and and maybe opening our eyes. Browning has been, you know, he was decent last week, too. And good yesterday. And then the other big news, and we're waiting to hear, Trevor Lawrence went out in pain. His ankle was stomped on. And now Jacksonville's got this affliction so many teams across the league have this year. We'll see. There's optimism, according to Mike Garofolo this morning, uh, that it's a sprain and it's not bad. Credit to the flexibility of, of Lawrence. And he's avoided serious injury before. Boy, he looks like he's in pain, though. But even if they, even let's say, misses one game, Tommy, and they got to go with C.J. Beathard, who's not terrible, by the way. Uh, 
that's an opening for the Chiefs, right? That's one team, but they got the opening. They, you know, so now it's this weird thing, right? So Jacksonville loses. The Chiefs have the tiebreaker on them. You almost, if you're if you're a Chiefs fan, want Lawrence back immediately or as quick as he can because they get the Ravens in two weeks, and you need the Ravens to lose. So it's this weird dynamic, but the Jags have to deal with it now with everybody else. And then on the flip side, the Bengals who are dealing with it. Maybe they, they maybe they could t- still make some noise here. Boy, isn't it great when you've got some talented wide receivers? Doesn't that make a difference? Isn't that an important thing for a team? T. Higgins made his return last night, and you know his stat line wasn't super impressive, but even just but his, there. his presence yeah. on the field is going to attract attention. Of course, the veteran Tyler Boyd, and oh by the way, Jamar Chase had 146 yards receiving. It's going to make a lot of quarterbacks look really good, including Jake Browning. And I'm not taking anything away from Jake Browning. I think that he's a uh, he's an okay backup quarterback. Um, he's certainly not Joe Burrow, but he doesn't have to be Joe Burrow when you've got that talented receiving core around him. And I know that you're not a Joe Mixon fan. I thought Mixon ran the ball pretty decently last night. And so you've got to – 20 got, carries for 68 yards. But he got in the end zone 20. twice. He got in the end yeah, zone that's two great. times. That's great. Chase Brown got 61 yards on nine carries. Like Mixon is the is is everybody's favorite running back of all time that averages about three yards a carry. I'm not saying that he's incredible. I'm saying that he is what the the Bengals needed him to be last night. He got it. Now he was good as a receiver. He was good last night. He was really good as a receiver. I'm not. I let me just a quick aside. I'm not like anti Joe Mixon, but he's been you know, talked about as if he, as if he's one of the great runners in football, and he's not that. And, and you know, he's kind of a turd, too. So, like, I don't even feel bad saying he's not as good as everybody says he is. He's just not. But he was, he, he was good as a receiver, and he really did help them last night, for sure. But isn't it interesting when you have dynamic playmakers right. that can yeah. catch the football or run the football sure. and what that does for your team? It's almost kind of like, and this might be blasphemy for, you know, me saying this, but it's almost like the quarterback position – isn't the most important thing in the world. It is. I'm not saying that it's not. But what I'm saying is when you have incredibly explosive playmakers who can make things happen, even Jake Browning can throw for over 350 yards and a score and beat the Jaguars. Um. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think it helps, and I think Browning deserves some credit. I, I Cincinnati's interesting. At times, they've played good defense this year. They are dynamic offensively. There's no question about that. Like, Browning, Cincinnati is as talented at its skills positions as any team in football, and collectively, probably the most talented. San Francisco may be, may be there or a little above, but those that's it. Like, that, that's the list of as far as just, like, sheer talent on the offense. And so that's a, I mean, if you're a Bengals fan, like you're not going to win the Super Bowl with Jake Browning. Not if your defense gives up 31 points, but it, it at least gives you hope for the rest of the year. Like, I, you know, like, I, I, I don't think there's any reason Cincinnati could look at the, look at the, 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 the North. You think Cincinnati could beat Baltimore right now? And I don't, they, they probably get Baltimore. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I it's, don't, it's, I don't know. It'd be, I'm higher it'd be on Baltimore a tall, than you are. tall task. To catch it, they don't play Baltimore again. So that you know, but they're they're better than Cleveland, and they're probably better than Pittsburgh. Certainly better than Mitch Trubisky, Pittsburgh, right? Like so, 
you know, what does that mean for Cincinnati? Could they get it? This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. So what exactly is the show about? It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Into the playoffs. And I guess you just have to, and let me pull up the updated standings here real quick to just, to just sort of put it into perspective here in the AFC playoff race. But if you look at the AFC playoff race right now, and I'm going to look, you know, they just beat Jacksonville, who is back now to the fourth seed. Is Cincinnati better than Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Houston, Denver, Buffalo? I don't know about Buffalo, but they're certainly better than Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Denver, probably Houston. Maybe not Houston, but probably Houston. I I mean, they're right there, Tommy. Yeah, I think that that question about Houston um, I, I would say they're not better than Houston, but then Tank Dell goes down with a fractured yeah, leg it's close. for the season. Yeah, so I'm I'd, factoring I'd, injuries into all of that. Yeah. I'd put them probably right now with Jake Browning at about the same level as Houston. Um, I, I don't know if they're better than Buffalo. I think that Buffalo has the desperation factor, but you know what Cincinnati does too at this point. I think the Bengals, you know, everybody was ready to say their season is washed and they're done and they're out of it as soon as Joe Burrow went down for the season. But again, so many talented playmakers and explosive offense. And I think that they, at least in the wild card hunt, have as good of a chance as several other teams that are in that wild card chance, that wild card spot, if not better. You listed off a couple of them. I think they're better than Indianapolis with Gardner Minshew. I think that they're better yes. than Denver. You know, I think they're better than Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh, I have no idea how they've been able to win games this season. And now you've got Kenny, Tomlin. Now you've got Kenny Pickett out for a couple of weeks. I don't think that, I mean, can, can that offense get any worse with Mitch Trubisky? I mean, I'm, I guess maybe it could, but I don't have a lot of faith in Pittsburgh. So, no, I certainly think that Cincinnati right now, we, we talked all along about the parity in the AFC at the very top, but there's a lot of parity underneath as well for the teams that are battling for a wild card. When this, when and I haven't done the mathematical equations to even know this is possible, but if I'm looking at this right now, knowing Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis, none of whom have their starting quarterbacks, I I, I think when push comes to shove in the AFC, we're probably going to end up with very close to the teams we thought we would anyway, right? Everybody had in, most likely, Miami, Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville. Probably you had Cincinnati and Buffalo in there, and maybe like the Chargers, and that's probably what we're going to end up with. Maybe not the Chargers, maybe Houston subs in there. I don't know. But we're going to get all these teams we thought we were going to get anyway. Buffalo is in. Now they got to go to Arrowhead and get a win. Buffalo is in a really good you know, position to be able to bounce back now. And after Kansas City, they have – I mean, their schedule, Tommy, is brutal. They're probably – at Kansas City, at the Chargers, at Miami, and then home games against Dallas and New England. That's rough. Buffalo's path is tough, but it's right there for them, right? So, so we'll see. I, I'm curious about Buffalo the rest of the way. But we, we, there's a, there's a, you know, a chance we get all the teams we thought we were going to get anyway. After all this chaos, like they're all right there. And after seeing, you know, Browning play that way, not just last night. Again, he wasn't bad in his first game either. And now that they've got all their weapons back, you're just like, okay, well, what does a Browning-led Cincinnati team look like in the postseason? Well, they just went to Jacksonville and won. And Trevor Lawrence played all but the very end of that game. So 
If you want to know what they look like in the playoffs, that's what they look like in the playoffs. That would be a road game against a home team in the playoffs. Okay, so you're going to completely, I think, laugh in my face when I say this. But I think that just looking at the remaining schedule for this one particular team, man, I hate saying it. I think that there is a fairly decent scenario in which the Cleveland Browns, led by Joe Flacco, find their way in the wild card. I mean, I really Flacco do. got Flacco got sent back to the practice squad today. I just yep. saw, um, so I don't know who their quarterback. Well, Dorian be. Thompson Robinson has been in concussion protocol, so if he's healthy enough to play, I would imagine he's the presumptive starter. And I know the Browns got blown out by the Rams. It was a, a fairly close game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Rams pulled away. Um, so that that margin looks a little bit worse than I think what it actually was. But they've got the Jags without Trevor Lawrence more than likely this weekend at home. Then they're at home again against the Bears. Both of those games, I think, are you could probably, with the defense that the Browns have, they're probably wins for Cleveland. So you're looking at a nine-win team at that point. All they have to do is either win at Houston, at home against the Jets, and then on the road at Cincinnati. And you're looking at a 10-win team, and that's probably a playoff team at that point. Yeah, I, Cleveland could get there based on their defense. We've, we've known that, right, forever. Um, Joe Flacco. I, 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 Joe Flacco. He's not. He's. He, listen to this. Listen to this. I, it, Action Network has this out, and a bunch of others have tweeted this too. This is potential quarterback matchups we've got coming in Week 14. You want to know why the league protects its quarterbacks? Listen to this and try to keep your breakfast down. You've got a Bailey Zappy Mitch Trubisky Thursday night football game. Uh, you've got. Uh, C.J. Beathard, Joe Flacco squaring off. Gardner Minshew, Jake Browning, Josh Dobbs, Aiden O'Connell, Jordan Love against Tommy DeVito. Like the names on this list. Again, Zappi, Trubisky, Trevor Simeon, Jameis Winston, uh, C.J. Beathard, Joe Flacco, Gardner Minshew, Jake Browning, Aiden O'Connell, Josh Dobbs, Tommy DeVito. What on earth is going on at that position this year? Like that's why. You see the rules changed, and that's why I'll never get that angry when they're extra protective of the quarterbacks out there on the field. Because I no, I don't want any of that. Like I don't want that. I, I want to see Burrow, and I want to see like I want to come on now. I saw that uh, with the Steelers having Kenny Pickett out for a while and starting Mitch Trubisky, they signed Trace McSorley to the practice squad, and I'm pretty convinced that's not a real person. I think that's a made up name. Trace McSorley. That does not sound like a legitimate actual person. Maybe I'm wrong about that, um, and, and maybe he actually is a legitimate person. That sounds like a made-up name to me. Well, it's not. I, I, McSorley's been around for a minute, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's gross. But doesn't it's that gross. sound like a made-up name? To the Chiefs, though, it does. It does, except to the Chiefs, there is an attrition aspect to this season. There is. You know, like, if they can just get there. And I've never felt like in this current iteration that home field meant as much as it does this year, because I think it does. It absolutely does for the Chiefs. But there's an attrition factor on this. If they can just limp in there and get there, you can almost just say, we're, like, all rearview mirror stuff. We don't care. Who cares? Like, we'll move on from this. They, we've got to see the defense play better than it did last week. That's that's concerning. But if it does, and Pacheco in the run game continues to be effective, I, 
in the AFC, I just don't know what else scares you that much at this point. But you know what? Let's talk about the division leaders in the AFC right now. Outside of the Jags and Trevor Lawrence, who had that injury last night, the Ravens, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs, all three of them have their starting quarterback, right? They haven't, like, Lamar Jackson isn't injured. Tua Tagovailoa is not injured. Patrick Mahomes is not injured. So to your point about attrition, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, look at all the other teams that are below them that are dealing with quarterback issues right now. The Steelers are. The Browns are. The Bengals are. The Colts are. The, te- the Texans are not. They've got C.J. Stroud, and he looks pretty good. But the, a lot of the other teams that are in there competing, you know, de- and the Bills ha- are not either, but the Jets, obviously. The teams that are below the division leaders, a majority of them are dealing with quarterback issues, and the standings could look a lot different if you had some more healthy quarterbacks. Yeah, well, for sure. And I think as you look at those standings, it gets really interesting when you think about Miami because, again, they have not beaten anybody yet. They, they have played a soft schedule and not beaten a good team yet. Baltimore is the real X factor. You and I agree on that. If Lamar Jackson stays healthy, which he hadn't been able to do the last couple of years, the way their defense is playing, they're an X factor, even without Mark Andrews. They may go get Zach Ertz, by the way, which would be really interesting. Um, And then Kansas City. I mean, look, again, like it's just not that definitive to say you'd take anybody over Kansas City. Now, you go to the NFC, and certainly you feel better about San Francisco. Philadelphia, we'll see. I'm not – but Dallas, again, if they're playing home games. But in the AFC – I just don't know. I, I don't know that – I haven't looked at the updated Super Bowl odds. I would guess that the Chiefs are still favored, but I'd have to I'd have to double-check on that. It's nuts. This has been such a crazy year. All right, let's give away some HTO on the way out here. Uh, it'll be Brewhouse Coffee Drinks. It'll be iced or hot coffee, espresso drinks. There's all kinds of specialty drinks, all the classics, anything you want. You can get them at the HTO Brewhouse, more than just great iced tea. Uh, you can do that right now at the East location in Wichita or Derby. These brew house drinks, free cards will be good for either of those locations. Jad will get us a winner, 869-1240. We'll come back. Last full segment of Sports Daily on this Tuesday coming up. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you till the top of the hour. Jim Rome takes over after us. Heisman Trophy finalists are out, Tommy. I think this is the four that everybody would have guessed. Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, will be the group. Uh, is uh, You know, like uh, I've got a little scratch on Marvin Harrison Jr., so I'm hoping for, you know, a miracle there. But I, this is a fine group. It's it's a less definitive group, I think, than we've seen in years past. Obviously, the big shocker is Caleb Williams is not a part of that group. But you know, this is this is a. I, I, I mean, I think if we all had to guess, this would be the the people everybody would guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Jaden Daniels' award to lose at this point. I mean, I think that as far as individual stats and accomplishments. I mean, I think he's head and shoulders above everybody else. The only thing that might stand in the way is the success that LSU had this season or lack thereof. That's probably the only thing that you might look at a Michael Penix Jr. and what Washington is doing at number two in the CFP, you know, maybe getting a little bit of consideration because of that. But I think what's, uh, you know, interesting about these four guys is that outside of Penix, 
None of these other players are in the CFP. Jaden Daniels is not with LSU. Bo Nix is not with Oregon. And then, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not with Ohio State. So really, if you're looking at it from a team success standpoint, Michael Penix Jr. is on the team that's had the most success out of the four. But individual accomplishment-wise, it's probably Jaden Daniels. Yeah, and he's a he's minus twelve hundred, um, so that's a very very heavy favorite. And I wonder, like Marvin Harrison Jr. is a two hundred to one long shot in this thing. And I'm just looking at his season this year, and and he he doesn't have it. I mean, he doesn't have the numbers this year at just twelve hundred yards, sixty seven catches, fourteen touchdowns. He's he's the best player maybe in college football. But he's not a Heisman. For, for comparison's sake, Tommy, Devonta Smith's numbers in his last year at Alabama, he had 117 catches, 1,850 yards, and 23 touchdowns. That's the kind of receiver numbers you got to put up in a big-time program to be in that conversation and get something like that. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is nowhere close to any of those numbers. So just for some perspective there. Doesn't mean he's not the best player in college football. I think that he is, uh, but he's not. You know, as far as the Heisman goes, just numbers by themselves aren't. They're they're not even close. Yeah, I mean, there are NFL teams that are absolutely drooling over the possibility of having Marvin Harrison Jr. on their team, and I would imagine the Kansas City Chiefs are one of them. But all that being said, he's not going to win the Heisman. That's why he's such a long shot as far as the odds are concerned. The stats aren't there, but he's incredibly exciting, entertaining to watch. He's going to be a big-time playmaker on Sundays. But again, I, I think it's I, I really think that it's Jaden Daniels. He'll end up winning that award, I'm sure. But again, the only thing that might make the committee hesitate briefly is the fact that LSU you know, they, they, I think they what they were, had three losses on the season. They were nine and three is where, yep. where they finished. That's about the only thing I think that might make them hesitate slightly. But at the end of the day, it'll be Daniel's award. I hate when they're slam dunks like this because at minus 1,200, nobody else is winning that award. I hate when they're slam dunks like this. There's no, like, mystery or intrigue right. in it. Um, that, that That's not nearly as fun. You know, I like when you've got some – dominating defensive force in there up against like a a wide receiver and a you know it's usually a quarterback award we know that a running back you know every once in a while but it'll be all right it, and it, it is unfortunate too that it's a player coming from a team that's not yeah. going to be playing in at the biggest stage I'm disappointed that uh and I know that he didn't have a good big 12 championship game and he you know kind of tailed off a little bit towards the end of the season I had a little bit of money on Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State you know he had pretty good odds, yeah. like midway through the season. He was leading all running backs in college football. I mean, he was explosive and, and incredibly fun to watch. And, you know, people were saying that they, they hadn't seen a running back at Oklahoma State like that since Barry Sanders. And so I put some money on him thinking that maybe he could be a, a decent, like, dark horse Heisman candidate. Fell off towards the end, didn't have a good game against Texas. That's not going to happen. He's not a finalist, so I'm disappointed in that. Yeah, that's probably about the point I put. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. in there too. So when we get to a 12-team playoff, I think the chances that we'll have Heisman candidates that aren't involved in that are almost slim to none. I think it will be very, very unusual to have players on the Heisman finalist list that aren't playing in the postseason. That will be a good thing for the sport. 
Um, yeah, and, that and would look, be awesome. I'll tell to you. See. I'll tell you right now. If Bo Nix and Oregon had beaten Washington in the Pac-12 championship oh, yeah. game, yep. then you would have a two-horse race between Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels. Then there would be a lot of intrigue and a lot of drama. But with Washington and what, and, and I, I'm a big Michael Penix Jr. fan, and I think that he's going to be really fun to watch on Sundays. I, I really believe that. I think that he could be a guy that, in my opinion, I mean, I know he's a Washington guy. The Seahawks could take a look at, develop him under Geno Smith, and maybe be a future franchise quarterback for the Seahawks. That's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm a big Michael Penix fan. That being said, though, uh, he, I don't think he's not as explosive as Jaden Daniels is. But, man, had Oregon beaten Washington, Bo Nix definitely would have been that guy along with Daniels. Yeah, but he for sure would have. And and it should be. I, I don't like, and I, I suppose I get it. I wish we would vote for the Heisman after the season is completed. Like, well, who is that really hurting to see these guys play on the biggest stage? Well, but and I know all that? the sport. How can you do that? Like right now in, in bowl games, when you've got players that are potentially transferring out or they're not playing in bowl games or they're sitting out to improve their, you know, they don't want to get hurt. Probably like, would that, be right? a, guys would have to make that decision. Hey, you're a Heisman candidate. Like, are you going to play and, and solidify your case or not? And that's a, okay. You either do or you don't. And and look, we we know the NFL MVPs. We, I get it. Awards happen all the time before we get to the end of seasons. But I do think it would be fun for college football to see these guys play in the biggest games, right? Let's let's say you're in a 12-team playoff, and a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. absolutely goes ballistic for three games and leads Ohio State to a national championship. That's not a bad, and and then makes his case like that would be awesome, right? Like that would be really cool to see and and watch it play out. Same for quarterbacks, obviously, but you know even what even if it's a defensive player who legitimately has that big an impact on his team winning a national championship, I think it would change the way we voted for it in a good way. Uh, something to think about, but probably will never happen. We'll come back. Congratulations to a different Scott for winning our HDO Brewhouse coffee. We'll tell you what's on tap today next. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. So what exactly is the show about? It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.